No campaign goes MAGA. Robo debt fallout for Fadden. Elbow at NATO. Plus good news about solar glass. This is the week on Thursday. Hello and welcome to this very special Thursday edition of The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host, Ben Davison, and joining me is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, columnist extraordinaire, <laughs> one of the founding, in fact, possibly the first columnist of The Guardian, Australia. uh, In Australia, of course. Yeah. Of course. Wasn't around in the 1800s in Britain when The Guardian was founded, Ben, just in Australia. It's my wife and your friend Van Batten. Oh, hello, my darling. Full disclosure, Ben is exhausted. I don't know how we're even doing this podcast. This man is a productivity machine and has had a particularly demanding week. So I just want to foreground everything by saying it is literally amazing that you are capable of forming words. Look, it is amazing that any of us in Victoria are capable of forming words, Van, given the actions of the person who shut my school, the person who is demanding workers take pay cuts yet again, Jeff Kennett. I'm bringing him up straight for, straight off the bat because we it's he is the he is the elephant in the room of Victoria of Victoria of the Sky News sewer cesspit whatever it is the Sky News there. sewer cesspit elephant Jeff Kennett that's right he is you know there is no news in Jeff Kennett wanting to cut wages of working people isn't that his solution to everything he he sacked thousands of public sector workers he closed schools uh he 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 sacked nurses. I mean, the man's, he is a wage-cutting machine. If you and I are productivity machines when it comes to words, Jeff Kennett is a hurting workers machine. No news there. What's news is that he believes that if you work from home, you should take a pay cut because you don't have to incur the costs of commuting. Well, that's not going to cause any structural inequalities at all, Ben. No. And quite frankly, the news is that Jeff Kennedy has simply latched onto yet another semi-pseudoscience ideological reason to cut workers' wages. And we know from the pandemic that workers who could work from home, now not every worker can, of course, nurses need to be where nurses need to be. There are a whole range of things that need to be in place, uh, done in place. But the idea that all workers all the time have to be in the office is one that has been comprehensively disproven by the fact that productivity rose during the pandemic. And in fact, the Community and Public Sector Union has just won the right for public sector workers at a federal level to be able to work from home. And the Finance Sector Union is currently taking the Commonwealth Bank to the Fair Work Commission to make sure that their right to work from home is something that is enforceable in their agreement. Commonwealth Bank is famous, of course, for its slogan, can, well, it can allow work from home. It's simply choosing not to, Van. Well, it's interesting and it's another powerful argument to join your union. And here's another one because who is the community that has a disproportional share of care obligations in our society, Ben? Can you guess? It's women. No way. You know, women do disproportional amount of care per head of the population of older people, of people with disabilities in the household, of children. I don't see employers committing who is so desperate to have workers stay in the office. I don't see them committing to workplace-based childcare, which is very curious, Ben. No, they're not. And, Van, this is one of the reasons why people should go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union because unions are constantly fighting for the rights of workers who have caring responsibilities. They are constantly fighting against bad bosses who don't really care so much about productivity as they care about control. And that's what it boils down to. And I think, Van, you've got a study about uh, how women feel uh, about the state of the workplace 
Well, yeah. I mean, this study came in from a glo- business global standards company yeah. called BSI, and they interviewed a thousand Australian women about their attitudes towards the workplace and their sense of security and productivity within it. Well, wouldn't you know, huge numbers of Australian women say that they really fear for their uh, permanence in the workplace. 30% are concerned that their caring commitments will drive them out of a job and another 20% are concerned that a lack of flexibility around their working their workplace arrangements yeah. will drive them out of a job. And that's just absolutely shocking uh, because we know that there's a significant cohort of women who don't want to leave the jobs they're in mm. but get forced out because of these structural circumstances. Mm. And it, it's things like work from home are really crucial and that's why we had increased productivity during the pandemic because you didn't have to make a decision about going into work looking after your sick kid managing you know mm-hmm. caring rounds for elderly relatives this unbelievable they call it what the struggle juggle that disproportionately affects women and affects everybody because it compromises having the best workers in the best jobs in the workplace and enabled to do the best work that they can absolutely and look this is going to be something that's going to continue to develop. There's no question about that. I mean, Jeff Kennett is now used as a bit of a vanguard, a bit of a tip of the spear. He's a bit of a stalking horse. For the conservative movements and the bosses' pamphlets to try and get their way. Jane Hume, who is, of course, a member of Peter Dutton's No Alition front bench, uh, has already been out going, well, of course, we, uh, when we were in government, we told everyone they had to come back to work. Now... It's not about it's not about anything other than control. Let's be really clear about this. Now there are some jobs where interacting with other people is beneficial, but there are very, very few, very, very few office-based jobs where being in the office five days a week, eight hours a day is absolutely 100% necessary to get your work done. And, in fact, there are lots of trials of four-day weeks. There's lots of other evidence that's building that says all of this Jeff Kennett nonsense is about control and it's about wanting to cut workers' wages. It's about... (laughs) Driving women out of the workforce is just a bonus if you are an ancient patriarchal creepazoid. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, it's about importing an American style of driving down workers' wages, having a low-wage economy. We know that under Morrisonism, that was the model. It was to use that Reaganite, Friedmanite, low-wage, cut the legs out from under workers, make women essentially stay home for caring. You know, people talk about inflation. We've talked about this before. When was the last time we had deflation, Van? I know. It's when we provided universal childcare. That's right. And that's why... Childcare uh, rebates and subsidies have gone up uh, to try and bring down the household cost. The importation of low-wage American-style workplace relations is absolutely anathema to the Australian sensibility. It's why joining a union is so important, and it's why keeping a really clear eye on what the conservative uh, MAGA elements are doing in America and indeed in other parts of the world, but particularly in America are doing, and how they're trying to influence and shape the rest of the world in their weird Floridian image. I would like to congratulate the exhausted Ben Davison on one of the great segues of the show because an extraordinary article appeared in The Guardian Australia today uh, by our friend Josh Butler, and he has exposed through the power of journalism that wouldn't you know the no side of the voice to parliament referendum is working with a United States-based marketing and fundraising firm called RJ Durham and Company. And do you know what RJ Durham and Company do, Ben? Do you know who their friends are? Do you know who they campaign for? 
Van, I'm going to guess that they, they're campaigning with some of the worst right-wing ultra-conservative Christian groups in America. Yes, you are dead right megachurches. Mega they campaign churches. for megachurches, those big, fat, prosperity, doctrine, theology, heretical, anti-Christian Christian churches uh, that and R.J. Durham and company help them to fulfil their mission by mm. raising more money so they can exert more influence over America. American life. That's not the only organized, the only kinds of organizations that RJ Darrow and company work for. Mm. Uh, they also do work for anti-abortion causes. Oh, right. Lovely. Yeah. And they've done some work before with the Australian Christian Lobby. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, I I have a slogan uh, that I think more people should share about the no campaign, which is the worst people you know are all voting no. The idea that these Americans, this MAGA, like hard American hard right, mega church, radical right wing, pseudo-Christian campaign front mm. is being brought in, I think is very clear in the kind of voice campaigning that we've been seeing. Um, today I've had some interesting encounters on the internet. Somebody sent to me uh, some accounts on Twitter that have only existed for a couple of months and yet are managing to pump out anti-voice propaganda every two minutes. So an account that existed for 27 days had managed to somehow send 60,000 tweets. Uh, somebody else sent me some dark campaign. They call it dark campaigning, mm. which is there, there are email circulars going around saying that the voice is a Marxist plot and conspirators presumably associated with black helicopters and the UN and Hillary Clinton eating babies in cellars and the whole sort of every conspiracy theory, you know, the the Yes campaign clearly was responsible for the assassination of JFK Mm, mm. and the space aliens at Roswell. So these kind of dark campaigning methodologies we know uh, were pioneered in America, we know were used around the Trump campaign. It is standard disinformation stuff. It's very hard for Yes campaigners to even know where the campaign is happening if things are being sent by email or WhatsApp groups, Mm. and certainly this company is involved. And, Van, they're not the only ones because – Advance Australia, which is, of course, the kind of Australian front of the global ultra-conservative anti-democratic movement, uh, is also partnering with a company called Whitestone Strategic. Uh, now, they're a Sydney-based company, uh, and they, they say they are Australia's conservative campaign consultancy. Uh, and they've done work with Fred Nile, uh, uh, the ACT Liberals, which, of course, was for a long time led by... Zed Sezelja. Zed Sezelja. Not a good person. No, so bad, in fact, that in a two-horse race, Zed Sezelja finished fifth. <laughs> um, and, of course, Lyle Shelton, our old friend Lyle Shelton, who doesn't believe my mum's should have had the right to get married. And who, you know, enjoyed a fun uh, night out drinking with the Proud Boys, Lyle Sheldon, a detail which has been proven from his own Twitter account with photography featuring him that he willingly shared. Generally, if Lyle Sheldon is involved, we are not looking at a moral or just cause. And we're going to put this into some context too because the No campaign came out of the blocks very hard saying that people who were voting yes were racist or were attacking people or were, um, you know, trying to bully people who wanted to vote no, right? That was their first line of attack. And Warren Mundine has been out there saying that time and time again. And this is part of that US Trumpian MAGA playbook, and that is to bully and attack people and then accuse the other side of doing it. In fact, it's been around for even longer than Donald Trump. It dates back to the 1930s, Van. Yes, it does, doesn't it? You always accuse your enemies of that you yourself are doing. But I want people to, because it's really interesting. I mean, Ben and I are such ancient hacks and have been on the campaign trail since we were literally teenagers. And often people come to both of us going, why is this happening? Why would they do such a thing like there is there is no morality on the far right like that's not their thing they're not there to uphold a moral universe they're there to privilege a small minority through making misery for the vast majority like that's literally the point of their ideology and what they're engaging in is is a standard campaign tactic around the and the no campaign is 
is a great vehicle for them. Something you learn in political activity when you're very young is that vested interests will always try to create points of division. Yeah. Binary points of division are really helpful, not around winning campaigns, but by recruiting people to your movement. So if you say, if you, if one of the reasons why the, the right in Australia and all and Americans mm. are involved in an, in the no campaign, which has nothing to do with them, will affect their lives, not at all. We should be very clear, may well run foul of the Referendum uh, Machinery Act. Yes, which would be very interesting and I'm sure people are on the case. Yeah. If not, Big Hint probably should be. But one of the reasons why, you know, the the global hard right have an interest in pushing the no case is that every single person who becomes part of the no Identity. Mm. Every everybody who swamp, let's call it. Yeah, everybody who decides to vote no identifies that they are persuadable to more radicalising messages from those forces. Mm. Mm. And this is one of the things that's happened in America. Like the insane, and they are literally insane uh, flashpoints around drag queens or uh, abortion access. Like the overwhelming majority of Americans support abortion. They think Mm. women should have abortion rights. But if you push a... Uh, I, you know, uh, every all abortion is murder, mm. um, or uh, as a point of division. Whoever sides with you on that particular cause is somebody who you can also convince to cut taxes for the very rich, even if they're the not necessarily going to benefit. Yeah, and to vote against your own or your community interest because you are persuadable to messages based on an identity that's been created for you with the binary decision you have made. That's what this is about, and it's about recruitment. It is about a radical minority agglomerating themselves into public discourse, and you can see the disastrous effect it's had in the United States of America where you now have the GOP enthralled to these radicals Mm. where people who are otherwise, I mean, yes, conservative, but not necessarily unhinged, publicly saying unhinged political things because of their terror of a critical mass of MAGA types who've been recruited into this movement through decades of this kind of division, mm. binary poli- like binary policing and messaging into becoming far-right radical actors within the American political system. And you're absolutely right because a referendum is a binary choice and the point is made, and I've made the point, you've made the point and others have made the point that, for those who are uh, what are being somehow or another labelled as progressive no voters, that is that they don't like the question or they don't think it goes far enough or whatever their reason rationale they individually might have, they are still voting no because it is a binary position. In a referendum, you've got to vote yes or you've got to vote no. So in that circumstance, it sets itself up for these kind of bad faith actors because you you have to make a binary choice. And if you can convince people that in a situation where, where the no campaign is running racist, sexist, uh, classist, Cartoon, Cons- yeah, and like that's in one cartoon. That's one though. cartoon. Oh, one yeah. cartoon, by the way, um, in the boss's pamphlet, of course. Uh, if you can convince people that that's okay, then they're so binary already. Like you, you're capturing, you're hoovering up all these binary uh, these people who create these binary personas for themselves. And it's interesting, Van, even Tony Abbott was like, "Oh, that cartoon goes a bit far," and one suspects that it has less to do with the uh, referendum and much, much more to do with the fact that there is a by-election happening on Saturday. And even just today, uh, I've noticed that there's been a softening of language from, from some of the front bench uh, members of the coalition uh, around their chances in the Fadden by-election, a seat that was held by Stuart Robert, 10% seat in Queensland, where, of course, the no vote is leading. There's, I don't think there's a single poll that suggests the yes vote is leading in Queensland um, and, of course, Peter Dutton's home state. So you would expect, including with all the historical precedents, that they will win that. But this toxicity of division that these Americanized uh, campaigners have brought into the referendum campaign does seem to be putting... Even even arch conservatives like Tony Abbott into a position where the idea of 
losing genuine political ground uh, to prop up this uh, binary identity. It's an identitarian movement. I mean, this is the other thing. They're always accusing the left. So um, Greg Sheridan had a dreadful piece about The Voice in The Australian a couple of days ago, which was, oh, yes, well, this is typical left-wing woke politics. Oh, the woke mind virus and wokeness. It's identitarianism and, you know, people creating a political identity for themselves on these, you know, identity community issues and aligning themselves to yeah, anti-racist, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And we're all going to turn ourselves into cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're all going to turn ourselves into Look, when your mothers got married, you know, that was it. I know, I cats know. and dogs living together. I mean, Look, like Bill was, Murray tried to warn us. It was a, it was a, it was a close run call between you and Bridge. I mean, in terms of getting married. I know, I know. You were going to marry a Bridge because you yeah, know Lyle once Shelton, we had it yeah. was. T- I mean, Lyle. What was Always it? Corey Bernardi. Yeah. Do you know, does it even matter? They just want some one kind of like Venn overlap of omni awful. Yeah. But this is the, but this is the thing. Like the, the. The moment is out of whack because so much investment has gone on by an organised hard right presence internationally and people like Tony Abbott, who's an extremely conservative oh, person, yeah. they they generally the pattern is they think they can control it. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from an established, like nominally centre-right, oh, yes, no, no, we can control these radicals, we can control these radicals. But they are enthralled to them before too long. So Tony Abbott... Flying his flag, oh yes, well, you know, what is this really gonna do? And Greg Sheridan and he's oh, they're all identitarians. But are being roped into the ultimate identitarian movement, which is this US-based evangelical hard right. It's it's outrageous and ridiculous. And it's going to lead, as you and I have discussed before, it is leading to the the destruction of the Menzian Liberal Party. Uh and, you know, they've already lost Aston in Victoria. They lost Aston to the great Mary Doyle, good comrade of ours, uh, good friend to the workers, uh, a once safe Liberal seat. Uh, now Fadden is in play. Of course, it's not just this hard-right identitarian politics that brings Fadden into play. Uh, it's also the fact that the RoboDebt Royal Commission handed down its findings and Stuart Robert, one of the ministers responsible, is of course resigned the seat of Fadden. Uh, in fact, everyone who was responsible from an elected position has resigned from their parliamentary seat, except for Scott Morrison, which when you think about it, the idea that Scott Morrison, who... Uh, <laughs> Who Commissioner Holmes said allowed Cabinet to be misled uh, has not resigned uh, and has only given, as I understand it, two speeches in Parliament since he lost the 2022 election is quite ridiculous. And I I think that there is a very good chance uh, that the Coalition will lose ground in Fadden. It would be a remarkable a remarkable story if somehow or another Labor uh, was able to triumph in Fadden, uh, and that's no reflection uh, on uh, the candidate because, uh, uh, as I understand it, the candidate is is excellent. Uh, that is uh, Letitia Del Fabro. Who's a nurse. Who's a nurse, you know, and you and I, we've campaigned for a nurse to go into Parliament We before. did. We actively campaigned for Jed Carney to get elected and uh, Jed's amazing record in the Parliament is a, a pretty good argument for having more nurses in the Parliament. Jed, of course, has been leading the campaign against medical misogyny and announced like a suite of reforms and measures around that. Absolutely life-changing for women, particularly women with chronic pain. And, of course, this week, um, uh, uh, greater provisions for um, reproductive control yeah. by making abortion medication more available, like transformative, life-changing, incredible for women, incredible, in, particularly in that case, incredible for women in, in regional Australia having access to reproductive control. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the RoboDebt Royal, Royal Commission has exposed just how life-changing RoboDebt was for over 400,000 Australians. Uh, and I talked about it a little bit, Van, on the uh, weekend wrap on Sunday. But 
you know, it's worth just touching on the fact that, you know, some of the some of the quotes from the report that it was crude and cruel. It was neither fair nor legal. Uh, that it's uh, it stemmed from venality, incompetence, and cowardice. Uh, Scott Morrison allowed cabinet to be misled. Uh, that uh, Alan Tudge's actions represented a reprehensible abuse of power, uh, that Christian Porter should have known better uh, about the legality of the scheme. I mean, these are these are from the report. Uh, RoboDebt has ended up costing taxpayers $565 million, uh, and this is this is despite the fact that when Morrison and Tudge uh, and uh, Porter and, of course, Stuart Robert were running the scheme, they were talking about it saving taxpayers $4.7 billion. So effectively, we have paid over half a billion dollars to be cruel to our own citizens. It is... And needlessly cruel. Needlessly cruel. Needlessly cruel. And people have died from it, and it is a national disgrace. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that Bill Shorten, who is now the Minister for uh, Government Services and, of course, the NDIS, and and we've talked about uh, Bill's commitment to reforms in the NDIS previously. He's obviously seen this report and talked about the need for reforms to Services Australia. it's just, you know, he's described it as immoral and illegal. It was poor shaming, welfare attacking, vicious attack, and it was illegal. It was unlawful from the get-go, and for four cruel years, the previous government shouted down, intimidated, and ignored all the red flags, the hurt, the fire hose of complaint and grief. Um, that The discussion over the, because there's a sealed section where all the referrals to criminal prosecutions and anti-corruption commissions and so on is currently sitting. People don't know what's in that. I don't know what's in that. I assume you don't know what's in that either. I don't know what's in that. You know, uh, Shorten says uh, that there's mixed emotions about having a sealed section uh, and, of course, they've got to go through uh, that process uh, once it's gone to the head of the Public Service Commission, the Secretary, the Prime Minister and Cabinet. Like, there's a lot still to go here. And there are politicians who are saying, oh, there's no adverse findings against me. Uh, and he, and Shorten just says they clearly have not read the actual report because there is a long way to go. There are many lessons to be applied. Uh and quite frankly, his view is that if Morrison were, a, and his quote is, self-respecting politician, he would be embarrassed and humiliated by the adverse findings. Um, but, of course, Scott Morrison has rejected the findings. Yeah, he's just rejected them. Just, just outright said. Yeah, he just, yeah. I mean, it says a lot about the Scott Morrison moral universe where you can just decide that something is not true because you don't like it. He said it was wrong and unsubstantiated and that the it Royal Commission wrong. misunderstood the importance of an executive minute. I just want to draw everybody's attention to the fact that the Liberals ran a sham Royal Commission that was headed by the now disgraced Dyson Hayden into trade unions, part of the function of which was to politically destroy the reputation of Bill Shorten and had him in the dock again and again and again and again and again and there were no adverse findings against Bill Shorten. Yet now we have a Royal Commission run by a person who has never been credibly accused of sexual uh, misconduct. And also, by the way, had was not attending party political fundraisers. Yes, was also, yes, the, the Royal Commissioner for the Robert Royal Commission did at no point in the proceedings run a Labor Party fundraiser. Unlike Tyson Hayden, who when the Commissioner for the uh, the Trade Union Royal Commission did yeah. uh, agree to appear at a Liberal Party. But it was okay then because... But, it was good, but they were Liberals he, in a different moral universe. And, and you can just make decisions about... And because Dyson Hayden, of course, got to rule on whether or not that meant he was biased and he decided he wasn't biased. No, he wasn't biased. So, you know, yes. he had made that decision. He he had, Look, yes, with the clarity for which he was renowned. So the and, and so now, of course, we have a Royal Commission into Robert. I mean, the evidence 
is overwhelming. Yeah. Absolutely a- overwhelming about what happened because you cannot send a roboticized debt notice to 400,000 Australians without rather a lot of evidence being produced. One would think. And it, I mean, it's a 900 page report. And Morrison has said that. Uh, the, it didn't understand how government operates. And he quite proudly says, as Prime Minister, I oversaw the closure of the scheme. I reject completely each of the findings which are critical of my involvement in authorising the scheme and are adverse to me. They are wrong, unsubstantiated and contradicted by clear documentary evidence presented to the Commission. I mean, the man lives in a fantasy world of his own creation propped up with this level of self-belief, which, I mean... In some ways, you kind of go, wouldn't it be great if we all had that level of self-belief? And then you go, well, no, actually, that would be a narcissistic nightmare. Um, Christian Porter at least had the good, good, <laughs> the, the, the common sense to at least leave it at that he acted in good faith and, you know, sort of apologised. Tudge totally uh, rejected it as well. He says he strongly... Re- God, they're a galaxy of stars. Morrison, Stuart Robert, Christian Potter, Alan Tudge. Yeah. I mean, he he used... The report says, Mr. Tudge, Mr. Tudge's use of information about Social Security recipients in the media to distract from and discourage commentary about the scam's problems represented an abuse of that power. And Tudge says, I reject that finding in the strongest term. No stage did I seek to engage in a media strategy that it was discouraged legitimate criticism of the scheme. Really? The man went on television and told people that they would be tracked down and sent to prison. <laughs> I mean, this is, they're living in a separate world. But, you know, and you kind of go, oh, look, these are all yesterday's man. And even Stuart Robert has sort of quit. You know, he was quick out of the box going, well, I haven't been served a notice, so I'm fine. By, um, you'll notice he's not really out on the campaign trail for the Liberal candidate in Fadden. Uh, interesting to see what happens on Saturday. Peter Dutton has also come out of the blocks and attacked Labor over the Royal Commission, accusing Labor of politicising... Politicising him. Politicising the robot at Royal Commission. Yeah, how dare they politicise a political decision involving political people doing political things for political reason. Politicisation? Outrageous! It's... a. Uh, I mean, people died. It was illegal and unlawful. Uh, it cost taxpayers half a billion dollars in, when it, when they were promising it would save four billion plus. Uh, it has destroyed so many people's lives. It's destroyed trust in our public service, which is entirely unfair. We've seen story after story of good public servants who did quit, who did fall on their sword, though, and others who simply had breakdowns while some of these spivs, really, who had been installed by, uh, by senior conservatives over a long period of time uh, to rule over fiefdoms rather than work in the public service. We call this institutional capture. And, you know, for Dutton... And again, it's back to what we were saying before. Accuse your enemy of what you yourself are doing. Dutton is politicising this. If Dutton had a a millimetre, a a milliliter of decency, of humanity. He'd be voting yes to the voice, but he's not. (laughs) And he would be demanding that Scott Morrison resign. And he would be not couching his apology, because he did make a sort of couched apology about it, he wouldn't be couching his apology in an attack on Anthony Albanese and Bill Shorten. He would be absolutely grovelling for the forgiveness of the Australian people. Instead, he doubles down and he attacks Labor when the reality is that his party, his party created Robodet. Now, I've seen some criticism. Oh, but, you know, Labor used income averaging, Ben, a manual income averaging process which sent people notices asking them to confirm or deny that this was the case, not a debt notice, but asking them to engage with Centrelink about the fact that there was data from the ATO, real data, and real data from from Centrelink is very, very different to an automated system that spits out a million plus 
debt notices. Debt notices that at times had the AFP logo printed on them from what I've seen online. These are phenomenal abuses of power. And quite frankly, it's a government attacking its own people. And it's interesting because, I mean, the Liberal Party needs a rebrand. That's why Peter Dutton got new glasses. Have you noticed everybody's got this new sort of groovy? I could be a teal. Look at my new glasses. Aren't they tealy? And the the obvious rebrand, given the fact that Robert's out of the parliament, Morrison is barely hanging on. Yeah. Like, it, it, he can't find another job. No, he can't. And find I saw another an article job. today where they were like, oh, it's so hard to be a former prime minister now. It's so hard to find a job. And you've written an article about why we should have the. the I genuinely believe we should just pension all politicians out because I don't want them working for arms companies. I don't want them working for fossil fuel companies. I want them paid to go out and tell school children, get on every train for free and go to every school in the country and talk about how great Australian democracy is and how everybody has a place in it. That's what they should do. That is the responsible job. And you can sit on some mental health organisation boards and you can do a bit of community gardening and that's what you should be doing. As far as I'm concerned, once you're in... Like once you're in the parliament, you're in it for life, and you have a job to support that structure of democracy because you have had the rare privilege of serving it. And the idea of, and I know a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you know, uh, like, they're overpaid. No, oh, yeah, yeah, cut off the money. Oh, they're overpaid. Why should they get paid? And it's like we should pay them so they have no temptation to become corrupt. And Actually, because I hate corruption more than I hate paying politicians to be quiet. And we should pension them out so they don't become like Scott Morrison and sit there like a lump on a rock because no one's going to give that man a job. That's my mum's seat. That's the seat my mum lived in is the seat of Cork. Yeah. And it has issues. Like you have spent time there and you have seen what is happening to the coastline around Cronulla, one of the literally most beautiful beaches in the world, like being eroded, like stabilising things with cement, trying to hold it together. And I get very impassioned about it because I went to school in the Sutherland Shire, you know, And, and the idea that that man has done two speeches and done a bit of shopping is frankly insulting to the community that I grew up in. And I want to point out too that not every former leader of a political party has to immediately retire. I mean, Bill Shorten is a classic example of a former leader of the party who has actually gone on to have a very good, productive, constructive contribution to the government as a minister for the NDIS. He's reforming that. He's fixing the mistakes of the Morrison era and obviously in government services, which is what we're talking about today. I mean, these are... These are very contrasting former leaders of political parties. And and then, as you say, the the Liberals need a rebrand. It'd be interesting to see what happens on Saturday in Fadden. The LMP, which is, of course, the Liberal Party brand in Queensland, has poured, by all accounts, a six, it's a six-figure campaign. I don't know if that's 100,000 or 700,000, but as I understand it, it's a lot. They've bought billboards and TV and radio. In Fadden. In Fadden. They're just absolutely trying. And, in fact, I saw a picture of a volunteer. That weird noise is the dog, by the way. I want I, everyone to be very clear the weird noise is coming from the dog. What are you doing? I assume it was a volunteer with their head bowed in front of a, um, a Liberal candidate's um, billboard. Very weird pseudo-religious kind of thing. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, Letitia Del Fabro has only had about $30,000 for her campaign, which has been very much online and very grassroots, you know, with the door knocking and getting out there. So it is, it is a David and Goliath struggle. Yeah, but, I mean, what I'm trying to work out, like, and it's because I don't think like a – like Peter Dunn. Yeah. I'm just like, rather than the glasses, buddy, surely the rebrand is going the Morrison era is over, absolutely laying down the law with Morrison and getting him out. Like the purely pragmatic political move, surely, is to demand Morrison gets out of the parliament, install your own person, have your own people, you know, going into Fadden and, and doing the purge and saying, you know, and consigning Tudge and Robert and, and Morrison and Porter all of whom were disgraced in front of the Australian people in numerous ways. They all found different ways to be disgraced, morally reprehensible, exposed men. Robodette was the one thing that sort of morally brought them all together, wasn't it? Yeah, like an evil Voltron. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. They all had their, their different ways of being a disgraceful human being. But when their powers combined, they could form robo Yes. That's, I mean, I feel like pitching this immediately. But this is the thing. Like, surely the rebrand is going, you know, the Liberal Party of today is not the party of yesterday. This is, you know, and my leadership is about strong moral standards and, you know, supporting our conservative values in a way that's beyond corruption and not tainted by, and that's how you do it, right? And you'd put your ideological argument but couch it in the I am the great reformer and there'll be no this. That's how you get your teals back. I mean, the, the common thread through teal seeds and teal campaigns, teals were anti-corruption. People yeah. do not like it. Right-wing people do not like it. Well, I mean, the idea of conservatism is that you believe in institutions and you believe in balanced institutions. Uh, I saw today Dutton's tried to interfere in the selection of the new Reserve Bank governor, uh, tried to rule out um, the Secretary of Finance and the Secretary of Treasury, uh, which is bizarre. Bernie Fraser, one of the most well-respected uh, RBA governors in Australian history, went straight from being Secretary of the Treasury to being uh, governor of the RBA. Uh, and yet, if Dutton had his way, that would be unacceptable. And what was Dutton's reasons? Well, because that's a person who's worked with Labor. Well, I mean, this is... <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't heard that. What, yeah. Peter Dutton from the Liberal Party that stacked the Administrative Appeals Tribunal yeah, yeah. like some kind of, like, you know, like donkey sanctuary. I think I'm I, sorry to insult donkeys. That well, wasn't fair. They are one of my favourite animals. But like it, a sea slug enclosure for retired sea slugs who, who are too tired to sea slug it anymore or can't win an election or got stacked into the AAT for years and he's concerned that someone was too close. They had labour cooties. Well, I think he's going to really struggle because we've got Labor governments on in every mainland state and territory and at a Commonwealth level. So, I mean, most qualified public servants now will have worked with Labor in some way, shape or form. And I know... They've got the taint. And I know that uh, the Liberals did install the former Chief of Staff, Matthew Guy, Liberal leader in Victoria, incredibly unsuccessful, twice Liberal leader. That guy. Um, uh, His former Chief of Staff as the Productivity Commissioner, uh, well, you know, at least he wasn't a public servant who'd worked with the Liberals. He was just someone who'd been a political appointee you know, like these people have no concept of the real world. It's all about them. It's all about their power and what they can get out of it. I, and they don't believe in hypocrisy because they justify all of these things to themselves. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Look, you know, Van, the, one of the really intriguing things for me is that Peter Dutton, of course, was Defence Minister, uh, Home Affairs Minister. He was a senior part of Morrison's elevation to Prime Minister. But this was before the new glasses bit. Yeah, he is absolutely died in the wool of Morrisonism uh, of his own, uh, of his, in his own right. Uh, and yet as Defence Minister, uh, he left Australia in a shocking state, uh, so much so that he, his early attempts as opposition leader were to attack Labor on defence policy, which seemed very strange to me. And what we've seen since Labor has come into office is that Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong uh, and Don Farrell are out in the world rebuilding our global reputation. Claire O'Neill as Home Affairs Minister, you know, we didn't have someone in charge of cybersecurity under Peter Dutton when he was Home Affairs Minister or Minister for Defence. Well, we, when we had all those cybersecurity scandals. Yeah, we do now. Amazing. We, we do now because of Labor. And, of course, uh, Anthony Albanese this week has been at the NATO conference in Lithuania Uh strengthening our relationship with that very uh, large body of uh, Western countries, not becoming a member of NATO, obviously, but also building up our trade relations with countries like Germany, where we've signed a multi-billion dollar deal uh, to manufacture armoured uh, Armored personnel carrier. Is it a, is it a personnel carrier? Um, it's a it's an armored vehicle. Anyway, it's not a tank, but it's an armored vehicle. Uh, they they're going to be built in Queensland. You know, it's the Boxer heavy weapon carrier. That's what it's called. Uh, there's going to be a hundred of them built. It could be worth up to five point uh, six point five billion dollars. You know, these are relationships that Albanese is building, uh, and in while doing this. 
we're also we're sending another thirty Bushmasters built in Bendigo. In Bendigo, I like Bendigo. I know you're from Ballarat. It's weird. They're like Shelbyville and Springfield, but I can live in Ballarat and love Bendigo at the same time. Ben, it's possible. Yeah, I suppose. You know, they're growing on me like the second head, um, and that means we've given 120 Bushmasters to Ukraine. Uh, you know, Australia's relationship with NATO is important. It, uh, you know, he's met with Macron. He's met with Rishi Sunak to mock him over the ashes, which has gone down very well with everyone except for Rishi Sunak. But, you know, building that relationship with Germany is so important, strengthening our ties with the US and ensuring that Ukraine, a democracy, is able to defend itself against the gangster state that is Putin's Russia, that once again this week threatened to unleash World War Three and nuclear Armageddon. Again. Again. You know, this is this is the contrast. You go, you know, Dutton might be wearing similar glasses to Albanese, but when it comes to Australia's place in the world, our defence position, uh, our relationships with our allies, our role in defending democracy, you've got Albanese, who's out there doing it, and Peter Dutton, who for a decade had the job and was really much more interested in putting border uh, border yep. guards in militarised uniforms mm. and getting them to check people's IDs in the streets of Melbourne. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, I think it's fantastic that Albanese and Penny Wong and Claire O'Neill and Don Farrell are really trying to rebuild a neglected decade of global relationships because Ukraine proves not only militarily and politically but also economically how interdependent we are. I mean, one of the reasons why Western economies have been struggling with inflation, it's not just because of the pandemic but because the Russian invasion of Ukraine has disrupted supply of everything from oil to wheat. Like these are, in in a globalised economy, these are massive interruptions. Well, we had a good conversation with a, a local builder who explained to us how Australia is very dependent on a Ukrainian pine for housing frames. Yes. It's not something I was aware of before. No, I didn't know that either. And if you're wondering why you can't, your your reno budget is not what it might have been a few years ago, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Like these are massive interruptions of supply. Ukraine is our ally. They are a democratic country. They are working within an alliance of other democratic countries against an authoritarian imperialist nightmare. And I've got to say, it's been quite revealing to me the number of people who I now realise these are, you know, accounts I've followed on Twitter, writers and commentators who I've engaged with in what Mm. I would have considered a progressive space who've turned out to be absolutely disgusting Putin apologists. I mean, Ben and I have spent time in Russia and can I just say very conclusively the Cold War is over and has been over for a very long time and Russia is not a paragon of aspirational Soviet collectivist virtue. It is a horrifically violent and dangerous, like barely functioning society. It, it's, I mean, it's society is kind of a, a stretch. It is a gangster state where... The rule of law comes secondary to the rule of personal loyalties and allegiances within corrupt networks of absolute rapacious kleptocrats. Like, it is extraordinary to me that there was a person who shall not name but used to be a person, like an international mm. figure of some renown, who was claiming that uh, that Ukraine, that the, the US had essentially invited Russia to invade Ukraine because it had supported Ukraine's aspirations to join NATO and somehow this was deplorable. We are democracies. We defend the principle that every citizen has a right to vote and a stake in who rules them. Like, that is literally a principle worth dying for, especially when the opposition is a nuclear Armageddon-threatening gangster kleptocrat. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, I, I I keep thinking of this as like, so the the theory goes that uh, Russia was forced to invade Ukraine because America provoked it to do so, because America was supportive of Ukrainians application to join NATO, which is something the Ukrainians had decided they wanted to do. Now, you 
Ukraine is not being admitted to NATO in this meeting, um, and that's partly because Ukraine is at war and joining NATO means that if you're invaded by another country, all the other NATO countries are obliged to help you. Um, but this is why, right? Like this is why countries like Lithuania joined NATO in the first place is because they could look not that far to the east and see the former KGB agent and his hot dog vending mate uh, and his so-called moderate Medvedev, who, by the way, was the one threatening nuclear war this week, and go, you know what? I'm not sure I trust those blokes. <laughs> I reckon there's a pretty good chance that given half a, half a second of not being looked directly in the eye, they'd be over here with a bunch of dodgy old tanks and I'd be in trouble. Probably a good idea to join NATO. Now, Ukraine had a very long period of instability in no small part because of Russian intervention in its democratic processes. And so it took a bit longer for it to get to a point where it was going, you know what, we think it's time we want to join. And, of course, Russia doesn't want Ukraine in NATO, not for, not because of the US. The US is, don't forget, not just not next to Ukraine, it's on the other side of an ocean across the other side of a continent. Russia doesn't want Ukraine in NATO because Russia doesn't believe Ukraine exists. And when I say Russia, I mean Putin. Putin doesn't believe Ukraine exists. It's like every now and again, you'll hear people talk about, you know, the, the glory days of Yugoslavia or bringing back, you know, these, uh, these super nationalist states. Putin's not joking. Putin's not you know, oh, you know, remember, remember the good old days of the Soviet Union? No, no, Putin is trying to rebuild, not not a Soviet Union built on Leninism and Marxism, but a Soviet Union built on Stalinism. That's what he but wants. But Stalinism without the rhetoric of workers' paradise. Yeah, that's just right. Just the really horrible authoritarian show trial, military control, targeting executions part of Stalinism. Doesn't even, doesn't even bother with the propaganda bit. No. I mean, and this is a really big thing. Like, I, uh, like I understand... I understand that people want to believe, that people in the left, in the West, want to believe in a Soviet fantasy of a worker's paradise. Like, I get it, because the propaganda was very seductive. And certainly if you look at yeah. early Russian Revolution stuff, of course, it was like it was another autocracy. This time with a royal family, the working people rose up and, you know, and all very idealistic and, of course, went very, very wrong. And as Western socialists, we actually have to take responsibility for that. Our job is to be democratic socialists mm. and our job is to support democracy as the precondition to socialism. If we want to live in a workers' paradise, number one is ensuring the workers have a right to vote, join unions and participate politically without being shot. Like that's number one. Like that's the actual first condition. And we can't pretend the Cold War didn't happen and we can't pretend that the Soviet Union was a good place. It wasn't. It's fund it was fundamentally not a good place. Millions of people died. Millions of people were murdered by an autocracy. And the idea that anyone would defend Putinism, which is just the autocracy part, is sickening. It's actually sickening. It's not a left-wing thing to do. It's no. absolutely not okay. And I've got to say, anyone who I see running a pro-Russia line, like, they really do become ideologically dead to me because I'm like, you're propping up an autocracy. What do you think happens to working people or like, or ethnic well, minorities? They get put into the meat grinder. That's well, what this happens. is the thing. Ask a Dagestani, you know, about, like, equality, mm. racial equality in, in Russia because disproportionately kids who, and they're kids from, like, um, mm. Muslim minority communities in Russia are the ones who are being sent into the most meat grindy parts. Ask like ask anyone from the LBGTQIA community mm. in Russia like how equal Russia is. Or ask any women. Mm. Like it is absolutely off chops that anyone who thinks that they're on the left could possibly make apologies for Russia, Putin, Medvedev, 
any of them mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. in that and not be absolutely flag in the air Slava Ukraini. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, my experiences in Russia absolutely opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, at that point, uh, Medvedev had been installed as president while Putin figured out how to change the constitution to make himself president again. Uh, he'd figured out how to make himself prime minister and transfer the powers of the presidency to the prime ministership. Very strange. Like, you know, these are not the actions of a Democrat or a reformer or someone who believes inequality, inequality or the rule of law or human rights. And, and, you know, we only need to look at what happened. <laughs> International borders. We only need to look at what happened with the Wagner Group uh, to see that in in Putin's Russia, you can lead a military insurrection against the government. Uh, and that's, you know, frowned upon, uh, but really no action taken against the leader of that. Uh, at the same time, though, if you are a member of the LGBTQIA plus community uh, or you do say that there should be free and fair elections, you are likely to be imprisoned, beaten and possibly executed. These are, th- these are not, these are not people who are running a country. These are gangsters who are exploiting hundreds of millions of people and who want more territory to exploit even more people and the resources of Ukraine. They want they want the wheat fields, they want the, the pine forests, they want the Black oil sea. and gas. They want they Crimea. Want, they want Crimea and the Black Sea ports. You know, they do not they do not want some kind of, you know, utopian, uh, greater Russia, that everyone is in living in a socialist paradise. Because I can tell you, you and I have been there. We know Russia is not a socialist paradise. Russia is a gangster state. You know, I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I can't remember if you had to or not, but I know I certainly uh, had to bribe a policeman just for walking down the street. No, I had to bribe embassy staff so they didn't cancel my visa. I yeah. mean, that's Russia. That's how it works. Yeah. So let's not pretend. You know, what Albanese is doing is he is saying Australia is on the side of democracy and we are supporting our democratic ally. We're sending uh, an RAAF uh, plane to Germany, which is uh, one of the intelligence gathering planes. It'll stay in German airspace to help that effort. We're encouraging other countries to do more as well. And look, you know, we don't want there to be war, right? But the way to get to a point where there is not war is to have more liberal, and that is small L liberal, democratic countries where we are able to interact as people in a free and fair way, where we have the rights of citizens, where the rights of corporations are limited and the rights of citizens are primary, where the rights of government are subject to the rule of the people. So you don't have situations like robo-debt or conscription for foreign wars. These are all things that intersect in how we think about the structure of our body politics. And that's why, you know, for me, that all of these topics today have come together because it is about the kind of democracy we have, the kind of governments we have. Do we to stand with Vladimir Putin? He is a gangster, you know. And, you know, I'm not saying that what Morrison and Tudge and Porter uh, and Stuart Robert did with RoboDebt is the same as invading Ukraine. What I'm saying is that when you allow corruption, when you allow government abuse of its own population, you start to create the environment, the incubator that says democracy is not important, the citizen is less important than the power of the rulers. And who do you think seeks political power in a system where people aren't accountable to the rule of law, where the rules can be changed for one group of people, where and where crime is forgiven? Like if you enable the system of government to be so porous and you know and and obscure and morally fragile you're going to attract pretty porous and morally fragile people towards it and that's exactly what's happened in Russia and it's exactly what's happened in my view in the no campaign when you look at the people some of the people some of the people who are running no campaigns and when you look at some of the people they're engaging to help them run that I would say they are morally porous. Oh, Warren and Mundine, would- and I'm going to say this, Warren Mundine has been a member of multiple political parties in a desperate attempt to get himself elected to parliament. Now he's using the 
platform of the referendum uh, and using the no position to give himself a national platform. And quite frankly, I, I don't even know if Warren Mundane believes in the no position. I don't think, I don't know what Warren Mundane believes in except for I Warren I don't think Mundane. Warren Mundane knows what he believes in. I think it's just wherever the spotlight is facing, he will run for it. I mean, it is, it's disgraceful. And I I will never forgive anyone who insists they're a progressive no. But there is no. No such thing. There is no progressive exist. case for no. No. And the choice is whether you want to be a lot, like if you want to be a patsy of a far-right racist movement, that's the implication of voting no. Because history is not going to remember that you wanted something better or more personalised or that's not what's going to happen. All that will be remembered of your no vote is who you were aligned with and you were aligned with the worst people. And And it's sad, but that's the reality. Like that's the reality. You know, Peter Dutton, Peter Dutton is a no voter. Peter Dutton is a no voter. Warren Mundine is a no voter. Pauline Hanson's a Pauline no voter. Pauline Hanson is a no voter. Jessica Price is a no voter. These people have supported some of the most horrific policies in our recent history. They continue to support horrific policy. Uh, and and if you align yourself with them, that's how you'll be remembered. I totally agree with you, Van. Look, we have to finish on some good news because We've had a pretty deep conversation, pretty heavy conversation about lots of uh, lots of global issues, domestic politics. But Van, some good news uh, that has been sent to us by uh, our very loyal listener Daniel Conway, great supporter of the podcast. That man loves good news. Shout out to Daniel Conway. He sends me good news stories all the time. If you want to send me good news stories, please do. If you want to send me stories about anything, please do. Uh, they're not all going to get up. Daniel knows this as well as anyone. But every now and again, uh, I, I can't go past one. And I could not go past transparent solar energy. So transparent solar energy is cutting-edge technology, gathers and uses light energy through windows and glass surfaces, regardless of the angle. Now, this has been described as a potential game-changer. Back in 2014, researchers at Michigan State University developed an entirely transparent solar uh, concentrator, which could convert almost any glass sheet or window into a photovoltaic cell. By 2020, scientists in the United States and Europe have achieved 100% transparency for solar glass, and we are now that much closer to having a a window uh, for every home, really. Just in the US, they say there are between 5 and 7 billion square metres of glass surfaces that could be used to generate uh, electricity. Uh, In Copenhagen, the international schools... Uh, design uses 12,000 clear solar panels all over the building. They create 200 uh, million watts, 200 uh, million watts an hour of energy annually. Um, That's half the energy the building uses in a year. So it's generating half of its own energy just from this clear glass. It's not perfect yet, but, you know, it's such a big step in the right direction uh, that... I think it's I think it's very good news. I think it's great news. There's been a lot of good environmental news recently and but this stands out. This is amazing. You know, if we get to a point and they're working on getting it so that it can be completely transparent and clear, the moment it's not as, you know, clear as the highest grade kind of glass that, you know, people like. But they're working on that. They'll, I mean, if they've solved the uh, problem of how to make it generate electricity, pretty sure they'll solve the transparency problem soon too. Great news. Great news. And, of course, you know, Daniel is one of the many hundreds of supporters that we have who help support our show by liking, by sharing. The show is always free to listen to, always free to download, even if it's a day late. Uh, And, of course, the show obviously doesn't pay our bills, but some people do make a financial contribution which helps offset the cost of growing our audience. And that's what every dollar goes to. It goes to helping more people hear these messages, have these discussions, learn about why they should join their union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, why you should get involved in things like the Yes campaign during the referendum, all the good things that we talk about. And it's our 
whether you're giving just once off, whether you're giving a buck a week, uh, whether you're one of our Extend the Reach supporters who gives $10 a month or one of our cadre who chips in $20 a month, your financial contributions all go to that same cause. And, and we appreciate it. We couldn't, we could not have got as far as we have. We're nearly three years into making this show. And it's because of all of the great listeners who make their contribution. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday if you want to become a supporter. And Van, you're going to read out our, our, uh, our cadre and our Extend the Reach supporters. Our cadre are Shamila Lakal, Joe Lockery, Steph Karina Barley at Jane C. Campbell, Leonie Givens, Ann Coleman at Ross, Ross Kenner 888, Bromwell Cockington, Dairy Butler, Jack Powell, Ferguson, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Matthew Hadley, Colin Kelly, Ali Vance, Mary M, Love Your Work, Yeet Yeti, Annie Belden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camilla Kiva, Boris, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aitken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Jed Carney, Kristen Cole, Bromwell, Punch Drunk Veteran, Jenny Forster 7, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Ian Hampson, no Twitter for me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn, Robbie, Brash, Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Leanne Shingles, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, Kerry Mash, tw- Kerry Nash, 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Nerissa Simon at Katagal, Lauren Ashen Banjo, Naranga Man, John Sharp and Peter Bath, uh, Louise Watson at Red, White and Blue Lou. Our extended the Reach supporters are blah, 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 blah. My mouth is not working. Stuart Munn, Blagoya, Matthew Crace, sorry, Matthew Case, Marky Mark at Became Bid, Adrian Valente, Mazritza at Carradale 68, Frank Nehus, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lapino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry, Arthur Pauline Bate, Shane Horsfall, Helen, Janet McCallman, Jeremy Mao, Rosie Elliott, Lara at Robert Notville 1, Michael Wiles, Sam Kelly, Dorena, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Tridragon, Daniel at Crazy Keza, John DeHaan, Ange Fennell, Anna Uran, Kathy Burgess, Melanie Denning, Jody A, Penelope Judge, Dane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, S. Wood, at Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beckham, Lola, Richard Reverse, someone with Vita W, Nandita Hannum, Maury Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham, Oxley, Beck, Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Hunden, at Galvez, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Elian, and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda Samford, Kip Patterson, Lizette Twistle, Bunker Basher, Katie Wood, at the Will never long body, long body. Sandy Bumgut at not Sandy B and Renee McGee. And I personally apologise to anyone whose name I stumbled on. I have hit the wall. The tank is empty. Indeed, and we are so tired. We are so tired. And look, on that note, I want to just thank everyone again for your patience to listening to the week on Thursday. Uh, the weekend wrap will be taking a week off as it is Van and Mai's first wedding anniversary and we're having some friends over to help us celebrate. I hope you'll understand. Uh, In fact, I know you will because we get so many positive well wishes from listeners. Uh, It really warms our hearts. We will be back though and as soon as we are, we will let you know. Until then, love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.